Let's talk about this plan of yours. I think it's good, except it sucks. So let me do the plan, and that way it might be really good. Wow. Hello, and welcome to It's Good Except It Sucks, a movie-by-movie and television series by television series hurtled through the Marvel Cinematic Universe. This time, we're taking a look at Iron Man 2, released in April 2010, when, if you preferred, you could have gone to see Ken Loach's political thriller Root Irish, Martin Scorsese's Blood de Chanel advert, or Jennifer Aniston's guest appearance as the therapist in Cougar Town instead. I'm Tim Worthington, and here's what I had to say about Iron Man 2 when I live-tweeted my Marvel Cinematic Universe rewatch. Possibly a tiny bit overlong, but this was more than made up for by the interactions with War Machine and Black Widow. Bringing in second division characters for team-ups was the missing piece of the jigsaw, and this is where the films really hit their stride. That's what I had to say about it, though. And joining me to give his thoughts on Iron Man 2 is political commentator Mark Thompson. Mark, where can people find you? At Mark Reckons on Twitter, where I'll usually be ranting about something. And I will occasionally pop up on uh, people's local radio. and You'll hear my dulcet tones bemoaning what's happened with Brexit and bemoaning what's happened with Boris. OK, so before we go any further, Mark, what happens in Iron Man 2? Tony Stark has told the public that he's Iron Man and the government's trying to get him to give up the suits so that they've got access to them. At the same time, Ivan Vanko, whose father has just died, he blames Stark for his death, and he ends up turning up when Tony Stark has suddenly, on a whim, decided to go and race around the Monaco racetrack, which is very Tony Stark. He suddenly appears on the racetrack with a couple of electric whips, and he's going around smacking the cars and causing chaos, and ends up having a bit of a fight with Stark as Iron Man, who eventually manages to subdue him. Then he goes to prison, but he gets broken out by this character, Justin Hammer, who's like one of Stark's rivals. And he tries to get Vanko to build him the, the suits for his company so that he can have them for this expo thing. Tony Stark is concerned he's going to die because apparently the thing that's keeping him alive is Palladium Core is going to kill him. So he's trying to find a way around that. And then eventually there is a showdown between a whole bunch of robots controlled by Vanko and Stark and Rhodes, who's actually stolen one of Stark's suits. In the end, the good guys win. So, Mark, how much did you know about Iron Man and, well, War Machine and Black Widow, for that matter, before seeing this film? Before seeing this film, I knew about Iron Man because I'd seen Iron Man, the first film. But apart from that, I knew nothing. I'd never read any of the comics. I've not seen any animation stuff or anything like that. So this character had pretty much totally passed me by. But it's interesting to compare with when I went to see it, being familiar with the comics, to me it was pretty much a given that War Machine had turned up in the second one. I wasn't really expecting Black Widow to turn up. I mean, I've alluded to the idea of second division characters, which, as famous as she is to real Marvel fans, she's not really that well known to the general public. And they didn't give much away in the pre-publicity. I did figure out before they revealed she was Black Widow that she was, but it was still a nice surprise. Apparently she was a fan of Black Widow herself and she lobbied hard for the part but also Don Cheadle's playing Rhodey stroke War Machine take it over from Terence Howard who was Rhodey in the first film where it's never been quite clear what happened why he wasn't the second one but the two of them have been in most of the films that followed and they're absolutely brilliant they almost steal this film from Robert Downey Jr which is a very difficult thing to do but the idea of having two ex 
extra characters who aren't subordinates is what really makes this. But the other funny thing about when I went to see it was, when I came out of the cinema, I heard a bloke saying loudly that the science was all wrong in it. And my immediate thought was, it's called Iron Man 2. It's not even the first one. What level of scientific veracity are you expecting from it? <laughs> well, yeah, you could pick holes in all sorts of aspects of films like this. And, uh, you just got to sort of suspend that sort of stuff, I think, for this. I mean, it's interesting hearing you talking about thinking that Don Cheadle and Scarlett Johansson almost stole the film from uh, Robert Downey Jr. I, mean, I, I know what you mean. I do wonder, though, if the fact that you've seen all of the other films and they are characters who presumably have the backstories and the characters filled out more and more as the franchise goes on has sort of influenced that a little bit. Robert Downey Jr., for me, I find it really strange now to think that there was a big tract of time when he was considered a bit of a has-been. He'd had his time and he'd had all sorts of problems and, you know, he wasn't really getting any good parts anymore. To see him in this, a part that he's so well suited to, and I, I don't know what the, the kind of the rehearsal process is and the scripting process, but it always feels to me, it's like he's sort of semi-improvising. It's like he's talking over other characters. Obviously, there are feed lines and responses, but it really does feel like there's something else going on with him that he's, you know, I wonder how much of it is scripted and how much of it is sort of semi-improvised. Well, that's one of those unanswerable questions is when you start digging into the Marvel films, and this was mainly John Favreau, as was the first one, but they do tend to have a lot of credited and in some cases mysterious uncredited writers. I alluded to in the Hulk one, nobody knows who one of the writers involved with it at one point was. You do get that kind of thing. I mean, there are some bits of Guardians of the Galaxy and Guardians of the Galaxy 2 that I find it hard to believe were scripted. There are lines in it where I think that must have come out in rehearsal. Some of this as well, some of the pop culture references, not just in this but in all the other films Iron Man appears in that Robert Downey Jr. comes out with some of them surely were improvised on set based on how a person or a thing looked particularly I find the dynamic between Robert Downey Jr. and Gwyneth Paltrow in it it just is totally believable that those two you know have known each other for a very very long time and responding to each other in the way that people who have known each other for that long you know finishing each other's sentences responding before the person's even said exactly what they're saying because you know what they mean it's very impressive to see that done because presumably Robert Downey Jr. and Gwyneth Paltrow didn't know each other very well. Well, speaking of people who seem to be washed up at one point but shine magnificently in this, the person we've not mentioned so far is Mickey Rourke. Yeah. As Ivan Vanko stroke Whiplash, who he probably was an even worse place than Robert Downey Jr., who, although he was kind of box office poison and he had a lot of personal troubles, I don't think his acting credentials were ever in doubt, but Mickey Rourke did a lot of damage to his own career. Particularly, he said some very unsound things in the early 90s about certain things that are happening in the news which almost finished his career off and then he resurfaced around this time with some absolutely bravura performances and things and I think he's magnificent in this I'll be honest I didn't even recognise him and it wasn't until I looked him up and saw it was Mickey Rourke and then I thought oh of course but he's just a lot older than he was the last time I saw him and I, mean, I think I'd watched Rumblefish when I was at university I thought he was amazing he's just a very very sort of dominating presence and when Sam Rockwell's Justin Hammer is trying to control him, you don't need anyone to tell you that Hammer isn't in control of that situation. That dynamic is fantastic, and I think that's down to they changed both those characters very substantially from the comics, because there have been a couple of whiplashes. One of them was Mark Scarlatti, who I think he was the original whiplash, who sort of appears in some episodes of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. as a kind of mercenary with a quite similar electric whip. There was also, in the comics, Anton Vanko. Ivan 
Carter's father, who later turns up in the TV series of Agent Carter as a young man. But also Justin Hammer in the comics is a much older English guy. And they've obviously thought, we need, you know, this absolutely hulking, malevolent Eastern European with a weird, weirdly sensitive side and a young, cocky American guy because that's a better dynamic for this kind of film. I think it's interesting as well. They make Justin Hammer into somebody who is trying to copy Tony Stark, but is a bit pathetic. You know, there's the scene where it opens with the Stark Expo, with Tony Stark flying in in the Iron Man suit and joining a line of dancing yeah. girls. Justin Hammer's Expo. He kind of like does this awful dance to pick up the pieces by the average white <laughs> band. And it, it reminds me of politicians trying to tell jokes. But that brings me round to there are a number of cameos in this including bill o'reilly the fox news anchor appears as himself which kind of adds a level of credence to him but also i've forgotten bloody elon musk yes. is in this yes yeah. i know i said the film was slightly overlong it's overlong by the number of seconds that he's in it just trim that <laughs> and it's a better film immediately well it was completely unnecessary and completely throw anyway I, I didn't realize elon musk was even well known back in 2010 i mean he's obviously become much more well known in recent years but obviously he must have been well known enough to be included result of the shenanigans at the expo tony stark gets subpoenaed to appear before congress mm. that is a fantastic extended scene where gary shandling is playing the senator trying to get him to surrender the iron man armor mm. it's an incredible battle of wits between these two really funny actors mm. there's one line that's about to turn over the iron man suit would be to turn over myself which is tantamount to indented servitude or prostitution depending on which state you're in gary shandling replies look i'm no expert in prostitution of course not you're a senator the bit that left out to me in this is there's a bit where stark says a number of things along the lines of i'm not saying i'm responsible for this country's longest run of uninterrupted peace in 35 years now richard herring should have claimed to write a credit on that because that's basically his i'm not saying i'm jesus that is for other people to say which would be the staple of everything he's done since the early 90s i want to make richard herring part of the marvel cinematic universe <laughs> i want to make stone clearing part of the marvel cinematic universe but that's I mean, yeah, or, or me one versus me two snooker. It would be interesting to see uh, Tony Stark playing himself at maybe eight ball. Or... Just coming to the storyline a little bit, the bit where he finds the new element in order to save himself, it seems to me to come as a little bit of a kind of deus ex machina moment where he finds it 
amongst the information that he's given about the 1974 Stark Expo, almost like his father knew he would need it at some point, which slightly jarred with me that I almost felt like they just needed a way to shoehorn it in. But because I don't know anything about the comics, is that canon? Is that how it happens? More or less. I mean, they approximate these things, then work them to best fit, but that's kind of setting up more for the TV shows than for the future films. But there's quite a lot of that, where they throw something in that seems casual, Mm. that then is later explored in greater detail than something else. One of the big things here is, because S.H.I.E.L.D. appear halfway through, when it's revealed that Black Widow is a S.H.I.E.L.D. agent, and Nick Fury meets Stark at a donut shop. Mm. Phil Coulson turns up to assist him, and this is continuing Phil Coulson's kind of hero worship of Captain America. He's absolutely fanboy dumbstruck when he finds the Captain America S.H.I.E.L.D. amongst Howard Stark's old stuff. That, again, is... Well, it doesn't come in for a couple of films yet, but obviously that's putting in place the fact that Captain America is going to appear. Mm. You get all these very odd little details that are co-opted from comics. I'm still disappointed that Zero Fluid has been name-checked in a couple of things, and we still yet to see Jack of Hearts appear. Blank look from you there. Yeah, I mean, because because I don't have the kind of grounding (laughs) that you have, I don't really know who any of these characters are. I wonder how many people watching these films will have been as cold as me. Probably the majority, I would guess. I would think so, yes. I certainly, when we get around to do Guardians of the Galaxy, it will be interesting to see who actually knew anything about any of those characters beforehand. And yet, you know, now everyone knows who Groot is. Everyone knows who Gamora is. Everyone knows who Thanos is. It's weirdly like if they'd done Doctor Who films and had the Vord in them, and it wasn't just the fans laughing about the Vord constantly if everyone knew who they were. Mm. I mean, coming up, there's a film about Shang-Chi, who was basically introduced to cashing on the martial arts craze in the 70s. Mm. He's about as, I can't say obscure because two Marvel fans he's well known, but to the general public, that's as obscure as you can get. Mm. And yet they're clearly thinking there's enough potential in a blockbuster film about this kung fu guy from the 70s. (laughs) It has got that big, and is it a bit like what it was like for me in the mid-90s when Britpop kicked off and to anyone who was an outsider it must have felt like all these amazing bands were just coming from nowhere mm. yet to me and the people who's friendly with it was kind of oh right oh look Lush have had a hit now the Boo Radleys have had a hit now <laughs> is it like that I wonder that this whole universe that people suddenly been given a pathway into that they didn't have beforehand well I watched some episodes of Jessica Jones and I really really liked her character but I really liked the way it was like kind of film noir style that sort of film noir feel to it and I, I I really like that and I really liked her character as well how she was both you know very strong but also very vulnerable as well it sort of demonstrates to me that within this franchise they're capable of lots of nuance and depth maybe which isn't so on show in this particular film to be fair well there is one thing that I think is quite important about it it doesn't really get talked about which is the first two films they have strong female characters but not as leads in it not as protagonists and obviously this was the first time they introduced a female superhero. It's interesting they went straight for the most badass one of them all. Because Black Widow is basically an assassin from the USSR that ran away to the US. I mean, that is the literal storyline yeah. in the original Avengers comics. They are setting their stall out early there, saying this is how it's going to be. Then that leads into things like Jessica Jones, like Agent Carter, so like more recently Captain Marvel. Mm. There was obviously an attempt from the outset to have 
I would say an almost unrivaled level of equality in the the leads in these films. I have to say though, worst undercover ever when she's in the ring with Happy Hogan and uh, she suddenly just whips him, flips him over, and just completely <laughs> dominates him in about two seconds flat in front of everyone. If you try to be undercover, maybe don't pull a stunt like that. Balancing that out, Happy Hogan is so John Favreau is fantastic in this, and the scenes that he gets. I mean, one thing we didn't mentioned during the confrontation on the racetrack is he actually drives an ordinary car onto this high-speed <laughs> formula is it formula it's formula something racetrack yeah. it's driving around it the wrong way to try and help tony star <laughs> it's as funny as it is exciting there are a few moments of comic relief like that like the bit where um him and the black widow break into that facility and he ends up fighting the first guard whilst she goes on to basically neutralize about 10 other guards it takes Happy Hogan like about five minutes to subdue this bloke and then he sort of looks up and says I got him and suddenly <laughs> kind of wasteland of bodies lying in front of him and she's nowhere to be seen there's also the scene with Tony Stark's party where he's kind of under the pressure of the now public profile of Iron Man and the fact that as you say he, the device is keeping him alive is also slowly killing him he throws this really ill-advised party where the Iron Man suits are DJing it's a very bleak scene but that's an interesting nod to I mean this is a very long story short version of events but one version of the origin of War Machine was that Tony Stark was indisposed with a drink problem and Rhodey stepped in as Iron Man acknowledging in the films Tony Stark's history of a drink problem without getting it to derail the film or the franchise in any way that took some doing because it isn't like it isn't tokenistic you really sense what a downward trajectory is on but it's one part of one film but it's interesting. I didn't know that in you know, the official Marvel kind of storyline of this, that sometimes Iron Man is not Tony Stark. It's, it's someone else. Sometimes that happens with a number of the characters. I mean, there was recently that silly fuss where people were getting very, very angry that Jane is going to be Thor in the next Thor film. And she has been on and off since the 70s. <laughs> I just want to say as well, Sam Rockwell is brilliant as Justin Hammer. Just that right level of annoying and smug yeah. without being ineffectual. He's somebody who you can believe. Not unlike certain people hovering around the government, right, as we record this, <laughs> but somebody who, despite an unpleasant nature and apparent ineptitude for anything, you can look at him and think, I see why he's got where he's got. Yeah, there's a great bit, actually. That scene where he's showing off all his weapons to the US Army, and, you know, he's got a kind of slick presentation all about it. He's going on about his Widowmaker's missile thing that's supposed to be able to pierce anything and cause major damage. And then when Rhodes tries to use it, it launches and just, it's like a, just a plastic thing. It just sort of pings off the suit and just falls to the floor and makes a really weird sort of <laughs> noise. It's just brilliant. It's just a perfect metaphor for the paper tiger that uh, Justin Hammer is. There's also the bit in the congressional hearing where they're trying to confront him with footage of rogue states trying to make their own Iron Man outfits, you know, which blow up spectacularly and so mm. on. And he somehow hacks the screens using his phone and shows film of Justin Hammer trying to launch a copy of it which goes mad and chases him <laughs> he says as you can see most of the country's five to ten years <laughs> hammer industries 20 <laughs> stark does not waste an opportunity to put him down <laughs> and of course there's the post credits bit in this which introduces although i'm guessing a lot of people who went to see it won't have had a clue what was going on one of the most famous marvel characters of all yes it's uh, thor isn't it yeah thor's hammer okay mark well before we go i won't ask what 
what you do if you've been trained as an assassin's child or by the Soviet Union and defected to the West, because that doesn't give us much scope for jokes, really. But if you had a pair of electric whips, what would you use them for? Well, as you mentioned earlier on, there are a number of people in and around a current cabinet who I think could do with maybe a, a two or three line whip. And I'd be quite happy to deliver them, to be honest, especially the non-elected members of the current government. Well, I don't want to speculate on who you put on that list, but there are some people I put on it. I'm not going to say who, but it's totally coincidental that I'm about to use some Latin. Mark, thank you, and Excelsior. Thanks very much, Tim. It's been great. If you've enjoyed this, don't forget you can find more editions of It's Good Except It Sucks at timworthings.org, along with details of my book, Can't Help Thinking About Me.